0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Enablement Amplified. I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Enablement Amplified. I am super excited that my guest today is Timmy Hendrickson. Hey Timmy, how's it going? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hey Fiona, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, A little bit about myself. Uh, Currently I'm leading the sales enablement efforts over at Hopskip Drive. I'm a former customer-facing, quota-carrying individual contributor, having worked in various industries, and I always knew I wanted to be in a sales support type role when I first started my career. I don't think enablement was necessarily a formal term, but now it is, and (laughs) I've been in this space for, what, four-ish years now and and continuing to learn new things every day, every week and networking with individuals like yourself. And like I said, very, very excited to be on the show.
0: And I think you're also a former water polo player and swimmer like myself, right?
1: (laughs) That's correct. Some water polo players from the Bay Area and competing high schools.
0: Right? Yeah. Fun fact about networking as an adult. You find out that you grew up like down the street from each other and played in the same tournaments and all those good things. So Timmy and I have that fun connection in common. All right, all of that to tee us up for what I think may be the spiciest question we have yet to pursue here on Enablement Amplified. So go ahead and give it to us, Timmy. What is your what-if question for the show today?
1: And I love that you said it's spicy because I'm sure your listeners will, will have their opinions. But my question is, what if we required enablement practitioners to have some sort of minimum amount of time in the field or on the phones? selling before jumping into an enablement role.
0: So what you're saying is enablement practitioners need to have sales experience.
1: I'm not saying that. Was bad, <laughs> not I'm, I'm saying what, <laughs> we what if we required it? What does it look like if more enablers have that experience?
0: I, I like this so much because I don't have formal quota carrying experience. I will just admit that from the jump. But... I can see where you're going with the what if. So let's dive into, let's start at the high level. What would that look like? What would the universe look like if seller, if enablement practitioners all had selling experience? Let's start there.
1: Yeah, I think, and it doesn't necessarily need to be quota carrying. I do wanna specify it could be customer facing, right? Actually interacting with the individuals that are purchasing your software product platform, whatever it might be. I think it means a more well-crafted enablement function when growing from zero to one. If you're building an enablement team from zero to one and you're the first person to do it, it does give you a bit of a head start if you were a seller in that organization before or if you were in a customer facing position beforehand and then joining joining an organization and being you know on the lookout for what needs to happen you know how you collect that and where you need to start
0: Yeah. And okay, I'm not going to disagree with you as hard as I thought I was going to (laughs) a friendly disagreement. But I, I think what you're getting at is especially and I agree, especially in a situation where you're going from zero to one, you need to understand the selling motions. You need to understand what your sellers are going through. You need to be able to connect with and empathize with the sellers that you're working with. I do appreciate the caveat that you made that it doesn't mean you necessarily had to carry a quota. But for example, my experience that you've been in CS, CX, right? You understand absolutely. Our, you understand the buyers, you understand the product, you maybe implemented the product, you've maybe even upsold your customers on whether it's renewals or new products or whatever it might be. So you have some level of familiarity with at a broad stroke, the motion of selling, either in that organization or at a high level. Okay, I can get there. I can get there.
1: <laughs> Fair. And the reason I asked that question or even think about it was earlier this year, I was consulting with a company and their head of sales enablement, who is a former coworker of mine, a friend, we were talking and they said, why won't sellers update their sales force? Is it really that hard? And my initial response was like, just laced with sarcasm because I thought they were joking. Now, granted, the set of sales enablement had no sales experience. And my response, like once I found out they weren't joking, they actually thought it was easy to update all the manual field. in Salesforce was people don't get into sales to update Salesforce, right? They want to go make that sale. And I think in a recent podcast of yours, there was that statistic about sellers or you know customer-facing individuals are only spending 22% of their time on revenue-generating activities. Yeah. Now, because this head of sales enablement, and they have a fantastic background, they're wildly brilliant, I learned from them very often, but they don't have that empathy because they've never mm-hmm. had that customer-facing quota curing experience, mm-hmm. right? And I think there is a lot more nuance to that statistic of 22% because sure. it's not just being in front of customers or making that sale. It does take it does take a lot of time preparing, practicing and learning how to sell. So even though they might not be in front of customers, there's a lot of time spent on the back end figuring out how to generate revenue in the best way possible.
0: Right. I mean, in the same way that we in enablement, we don't spend 100% of our time executing enablement, right? I don't right. think there's a world where sellers spend 100 percent of their time doing revenue generating activity. It just doesn't work that way. But I think that statistic, which came from Forrester this past year, you know, I think what it illustrates, number one, they also pointed out that that is going down, I think maybe two or three years ago it was like 25, 27, 28 percent. And I think that the tricky part that we get into is what are the other things that people are doing during that time? and how much of a help or a hindrance are there. And to your point, if you're not a seller, you don't really see it in that way, right? There's parts of your job that you're executing that are supporting your selling motions and supporting your revenue generating activity. And there's just a bunch of crap as well. Like CRM updates is a perfect example. So to your point, I think it's hard to identify the challenges versus the benefits if you haven't been in that seat. So I, I'm with you on that component. And actually, for anybody who's interested, I just did an episode with on the closed mode podcast and we spent a lot of time talking about that specifically and how AI can help alleviate some of the, the crap and make some of those things more efficient so that sellers can be more effective with the time they get back. Very cool. But back to the subject at hand, when we think about What comes from the experience of being a seller or being customer facing? What are some of the areas if you had to give us some bullet points about what you've gained from that? Maybe whether it's we talked about empathy, we talked a little bit about awareness, but what are some of the other pieces that kind of come to the forefront when you have that experience?
1: Yeah, I think there's a number of benefits having quota caring or customer facing uh, roles in your, you know, in your background before jumping into enablement. One, you've likely been enabled, which means you know what works or what doesn't. You sat through the lectures, you've had to participate in dull role plays. <laughs> you've seen what's engaging and what isn't. Then you can craft your own enablement strategy accordingly. Mm-hmm. Second coaching i do have a strong belief that to be a coach and to be a good coach it helps tremendously if you've been a player i did want to bring data to this podcast (laughs) and i looked it up you know the three sports that are dominating or have been dominant in the u.s nfl mlb uh, nba out of the professional sports coaches 97.8 percent of them were players before becoming coaches Wow. 32 out of 32 coaches in the NFL, 30 out of 30 in the MLB, and then 30 out of 32 in the NBA.
0: Wow. And
1: that's a crazy statistic, but that doesn't mean they're always good coaches. Right. right. True. There's teams out there with just horrendous records, and yeah, their, their coach was likely a player. However, some of the best coaches I've had in the past have competed and coached at the very high you know the very highest mm-hmm, levels When mm-hmm. we know uh, john vargas who coached for decades at stanford for water polo not only was he on the national team as a player but he was a coach as a national player and i'm not going to go through his accolades you can google him he is he's fantastically incredible. wonderful yeah and some of the best learnings i ever had in the sport of water polo came directly from him
0: Well, and I think what's important about when you look at a coach who is successful, they not only have been there done, but they have translated what they've learned, not just the good stuff. Here's how you throw the fastest pitch. Here's the mechanics of the best way to kick a field goal. But they've also learned from their mistakes, right? And they and I think that's a part of where the empathy piece plays in as well, right? I've had the bad deal blow up. I've had the last minute phone call at 8 30 p.m. on December 31st at the end of the year, trying to get the deal done. And some new signer comes out of the blue, right? They've seen Absolutely. They've got the battle scars, if you if you know what I mean. And I think that effective coaching is not say as I say, do as I do. Effective coaching is, I can see the forest for the trees and you're so focused on the tree, let me broaden your horizon, right? Precisely. And and I, I am with you that if you haven't been through the motions or you haven't seen it, you know, I, I had a sales leader tell me, you know, despite the fact that I've never carried a bag, I could, he, he was of the opinion, and I don't disagree with him, I could have been a great sales manager because I've been in the trenches next to sellers for so long. And I have that sort of natural, like, forest for the trees perspective that I like the distinction we're making that you don't necessarily have to have the quota-carrying AE title, but you have to have been in the trenches.
1: Exactly. And that brings me to the next point. Empathy, you know, like you just talked about, you've walked a thousand miles in a seller's shoes. You've put in the 10,000 hours. You've made 500 cold calls in a week only to get five people on a call. You know, you sat across the desk from a CFO who wants to budge you, you to budge on your pricing. You know, you know what it's like to get ghosted, to miss a crucial deal in discovery and then restart the process and then to prioritize your time to make sure you're hitting quota. In fact, like, this week or this past quarter we were going through the process of implementing a content management platform and we're still in the process of like you know signing the agreement and i keep telling my ae on the other side of things like we're gonna sign it i know it is you know close to end of year there's only a couple more business days before everyone shuts down for the holidays i know the anxieties you're having trust me it will get done So not only is it having empathy for the sellers inside your organization, but then of course, outside of your organization, because likely you're going to be purchasing, you know, software for your team in enablement.
0: Oh, I could do do a whole podcast about why enablers are the best people to buy or to have as buyers, because we're like, here's our pain points. Here's what we know about your solution. Here's our question. Here's our mutually agreed action plan. Let's do this thing.
1: <laughs> I would say I'm one of the easiest people to run a discovery call with because I will just give you every, I know what you're looking for. I I understand you're going through MedPic or Gap Selling and I'm gonna give you all the information you need because I want this product, right? I need to take it up to my SVP of revenue or CRO. Here, here's or our buying 11. committee. <laughs> exactly here's what you need to say because as much as i can say it internally like you're gonna be you're gonna be the one that needs to say it as well to make sure that we have the data the numbers all of that in order to make this purchase
0: yeah i try and make
1: it easy on those sellers
0: i do i do too and i also i try to not get snarky about it although there's been a time or two where some like cold outreach was so bad that i was like hey bro because it's usually (laughs) a bro (laughs) <laughs> like, try again. I had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn the other day that was like, hey, I see that you're in product leadership and I was curious about how your UX in your system is going. I was like, first of all, if you actually read by LinkedIn, I have never been anything related to product ever. Second yeah. of all, you'd also notice that I've been at my company for a month <laughs> and I don't know anything about what's being whatever. Like it was so bad. I had to call the guy out and I was like, hey man, appreciate the effort either you sent this message to the wrong person or you didn't actually do any sort of research like good luck
1: <laughs> come on and just to add up to anyone that might be listening and maybe you're thinking oh I should have an SDR uh, cold outreach him i will take a screenshot of that email i do not screenshot the name of the person that reaches out or the company but i will i do have a repository of what good looks like And then what bad looks like. And I do include it in some enablement uh, initiatives or trainings and onboardings to say, hey, this is who we need to mimic. Again, I'm not going to tell you who it is or which company they come from. You might be able to see it from the value propositions in the email. And then of course, like, here's what bad looks like. You know, they didn't do their research. They're starting to, you know, throw value props my way that has nothing to do with enablement or even my organization. So like, let's not be these people. Let's be these people.
0: That just like rang a big bell in my mind because I think the other challenge, like the the bridge that we can gap for our sellers. Think about this, something they may not have. A lot of sellers have never been sold to, right? Yeah. No one is going on LinkedIn and going, let me look up a bunch of senior account executives to try to pitch to, right? Because that's just not in the process. And so I think we're we get to sort of get to the crest of the mountain a little sooner is we can see over and say, hey, this is what it feels like to be sold to this way. This is what it feels like to get to be the recipient of that cold outbound from SDR. This is, you know, pick up the phone and show you how many missed, you know, ignored calls we have from all the people that sell to enablers. And there's a balance there, right? Because we have... If we have experience that aligns with what they're doing, but they only see one side of it, we can also give them the other side of the coin. This gets very interesting.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And then the last bullet point for why I think it is helpful for you know enablers to come in with some sort of customer facing experience are the transferable skills, especially in quota carrying roles that you bring into the role. So think of it like this. you know, When you were a seller, an account executive, You were managing your opportunities, taking it from prospecting all the way to closed one, closed lost. The same can be true for enablement initiatives or OKRs. You know, you can take methodologies like medic or gap selling or even Challenger and then say, okay, now let me apply it to my internal stakeholders because I'm trying to launch a content management platform like Seismic or HighSpot. Okay, who's going to be the detractors, promoters? What do i need to say what are the metrics we're looking at or i'm going to be building out an onboarding you know what does that look like in terms of the directors of sales what kind of internal buy-in do i need from them and then how do i work my initiatives like that now that one of course you can learn project management um, outside of customer facing roles however i did notice when i moved from an account executive into enablement i was like oh very clearly i'm just going to take these skills that i've already been You know using and crafting for the last almost decade and just use it here with my you know internal folks
0: i need to start having like different sound effects for every time we hit some of the same themes that we talk about so much in enablement and especially on this show right as enablers we are consultancy and our customer is our sellers right and our sales team and so we are constantly selling to our stakeholders Selling, absolutely. selling our sellers on why they should bother to do this enablement activity or whatever it might be. So yeah, absolutely. It's the the skill of communicating the value of what you're doing, the skill of managing your time, managing your process, identifying outcomes. Right, huge yeah. in enablement. Obviously, the the outcome is pretty linear in the sales world, but still identifying what that is and the timelines and all those things so so transfer from the ae role into enablement did you know that enablement amplified is an entirely community generated podcast what does that mean it means that the podcast is fully supported by our members who contribute monthly to help with the costs of running a podcast If you're interested in becoming a member simply go to enablementamplified.com and click membership thank you so much for supporting the show now let's dive back in
1: absolutely and i do want to share that i had thought of this question you know back in the summer of 2023 when i was like posed with that head of sales enablement and you know the with the salesforce crm update question but Jerry far who was actually just on this podcast not too long ago he posted on LinkedIn recently saying, let's stop with the requirements of having folks being in quota carrying roles before jumping into enablement. They don't need it. You wouldn't have sellers who are or like COOs, sell to COOs. They don't need to do that. They need to understand the buyer persona and everything. And I was like, oh, no. But Jerry Farr, like he's a he's <laughs> Jerry a, Farr just busted voice.
0: me down a peg. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, that's where I was. I was like, oh, no like, Fiona's going to see this and be like, great, it's strengthening my position. But then you, you know, I opened the comments and the sentiment was fairly 50-50. You had people who agreed with them, disagreed with them for, for various reasons. And I don't necessarily disagree with Jerry or any of the people on his side. And I'm not going to sit here on the people on my side and yeah, and like say, like, yeah, yeah, we're right, 100%. No, it's a lot of context. It's up in the air. There's so much you can do to get someone ramped up in enablement roles that haven't had customer-facing experience, but it's just my opinion that it does help tremendously and you can ramp a little more quickly when stepping into the role.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think if we boiled it down like you did identify at the beginning, right, that customer-facing role, whatever it may have been, just gives you so much more direct experience that's relevant to what we do in enablement i would even struggle to see somebody like a product marketer unless it's a very customer touch heavy marketing team like unless they have like a customer advocacy panel and do like regular customer interviews i would have a hard time even seeing somebody like a product marketer moving effectively into enablement because they are so far removed from the customer you know what i mean
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Back when I was working at Uber, one of the initiatives I was a part of was called Driver Happiness. That's what we called it internally. It was driver retention. And we were making up all these wild suggestions. And this is like 2014, 2015. And then finally someone came up with the suggestion like, Hey, let's just get these folks in a room. Let's do some roundtables. You know, actually interview them so we can start listening directly from them on what we need to fix. And once we started doing that all of our assumptions that we wrote on the whiteboard got erased because we weren't drivers ourselves. You know, we thought we knew by looking at data, like, okay, there's some things here, but like once you got in front of them and gathered that anecdotal evidence, it was like, Oh, okay. We were kind of circling, you know, the actual point. but here's what we really truly need to solve. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, like I said, that wouldn't have clicked unless we had had those interactions with them over, I think it was probably half a year and, and dozens and dozens of uh, focus groups.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we we run the risk. Okay, see, now you're pulling me like quickly across the fence, Timmy. This is rude. I was ready to fight with you and now <laughs> I feel like we're just gonna hug later. But now that I think about it more, we really miss a lot of opportunity if we don't put people in enablement positions that can be as effective as possible, and I think you kind of nailed it. The challenge with someone who doesn't have customer facing experience is that they might be able to do it, but will it be as effective as someone who has more customer facing experience? And we run the risk of being less effective than we could be as enablers, right? So I know we can't, like, measure that, right? (laughs) Like, there's no, like, there's no matrix of, like, effectiveness versus time spent selling or whatever it might be. But I think that we can look at the qualitative and anecdotal data and say, these are really effective enablers. These are really effective enablement teams. What are the common themes there? That might be a fun project for our friends at Forrester and the Enablement Society to look at, do a little data digging. Peter, I also, know. So I if you're thinking, listening, we got a new project for you. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> but no, I was thinking about that prior to this podcast. Was okay, you know. I want to strengthen my argument with the data, but there's nothing to say, hey, this organization who, which is run by an enabler who has zero experience in sales, has you know increased sales velocity or decrease, you know, average deal length, whatever it might be by X amount compared to the folks that have kind of sales. I don't think that exists. And I'm not gonna like sit here on LinkedIn, message thousands of enablers and say, hey, like, tell me about your your data, right? But I did see that the Sales Enablement Collective released their 2023 report. And it said, prior to jumping into sales enablements, 37.84% of enablers came from sales. 28.38% were in sales management before enablements so like I would hope that those people in management that 28.38% right, had, yeah. were in sales before sure. so that would be like a total of 66.22% I like my decimals if you couldn't and, tell and then throw in
0: CX CS CX experience on top of that and we're probably pushing like 80 90 percent
1: Exactly. So maybe this isn't the spiciest question of the podcast, but I, it was, you know, and there's other experiences, other stories that I have throughout my career where people training me, where they're coming in as consultants. And I'm not going to share all of those stories here, but I was like, what are you talking about? You know, if you're a third-party consultant, you know, and you've never sat across the table doing negotiations, you just say, oh yeah, like, keep your cool. You know, don't don't lose your head. It's like, if someone asks you for some kind of concession in real time, you know, at a table, like back when selling was in person, <laughs> like it's a lot harder not to show that you're sweating at the skill that you do have to be- have to develop, you know, over the years.
0: Yeah, I agree. I always thought it was funny. Who's that guy who wrote the book about like the the sales book from the perspective of hostage negotiation? I was like, oh,
1: Chris Voss,
0: Broski. I was like, I get it. But also like not nobody's life is on the line. If someone doesn't buy my software right
1: <laughs> exactly yeah chris voss never split the difference i yes. think there are some wonderful stories to take from that book Agreed. however yeah. it's it was like, a little right. bit of a leap a little bit i can see how we all get there but like i'm the one doing the work getting okay. there rather than that book right. and look i didn't want to come on this podcast and say This is my opinion. You know, this these are the benefits, and like this is the only way to go into enablement is to have this customer facing experience. Absolutely not. However, if you are going to be jumping into enablement, if you're you know a recent college grad, or if you're just thinking about making a career change into enablement, I do think there are things you can do to help yourself ramp quicker. You know, to learn from those around you, and the first thing is to communicate with your customer facing teams, like learn from them, use them as a resource, shadow them on calls, listen to recorded calls. If you, if your company has a tool like a gong or a chorus and then ask them questions about their process, their methodologies and their best practices, because you might have a lot of assumptions and those are going to be shattered the second or they might be, I shouldn't say they're going to, but they might be shattered the second you start having conversations, you know, with those folks. I would also say, like, step into the shoes of of a seller. Like, if you have, I don't know, low stakes, SMB, or not opportunities, but leads, Mm -hmm. like, ask to take 10 to 20 and just say, hey, can I cold call them? Right? Like, let me get on the phones. Let me craft my elevator pitch real quick. Let me try to get a decision maker on the call, quickly qualify them, and then, like, pass them off to an AE. And I think that's... It's actually what DoorDash does with each of their employees. They make their employees go out there and make a certain amount of deliveries. I I don't know if it's a monthly or a quarterly goal, but it's like going out there and saying, okay, this is what our customers, you know, an enablement, your customers are the AEs, SDRs, Rams, directors of sales, VPs. This is what they're dealing with. Here's how I'm going to bring it back to my product and make it the best, you know, product for them.
0: Yeah, I love that. It just kicks off so many thoughts about. Like, I've gone through when I've onboarded at new companies, like I've gone through like the SDR onboarding because it has all the content. Right. And I'm like, wait, but I didn't like have to do an elevator. I didn't really have. They told me, don't, you know, skip the elevator pitch thing. Don't worry about the cold call check sheet, whatever. And I'm like, wait, actually, I could have done those things. And that would have actually been helpful." helpful. A company that I worked for years ago. We made everybody sit on the phones. Uh, it was the, we were on the customer support, customer success side. We made everybody sit on the phones for their first two days, like listening. But sitting there on the phones with our frontline support team because they had to know what our customers were like.
1: I really Absolutely. We got a new
0: VP and I really wanted to make him do it and they wouldn't let me make him do it, which kind of bummed <laughs> me out. But that's okay.
1: <laughs> but I would also suggest, you know, if you're going to be jumping into enablement, Study as if you're earning multiple college degrees. You know, I like to tell sellers, be a doctor of sales. A doctor wouldn't just like show up to a patient's room, no studying, no degree, nothing and say, all right, you told me that this is your one symptom, you have a high temperature, here's my prescription and then walk out. Absolutely not. We shouldn't be bombarding. You know, sales wouldn't be bombarding prospects with product features and value props from the start. Rather, they're going to learn about their pain points and their goals, learn what's valuable to them and learn (laughs) who's going to be a part of the process and then begin to make those prescriptions. And the same is true for sales enablement. Don't just join an organization and start to make guesses as to what you would prescribe for the organization. Dig into the data, go on your listening tour, become a doctor of sales enablement, and then start making those prescriptive recommendations so that you do start seeing you know, increases in your win rates or decreases in your ramp time, whatever those metrics are that are important to your organization, like track those. But don't just come in and say, here's my roadmap. Didn't consult with anyone. It's what I've done in the past or it's what I want to do here. We're off to the races. It's not going to work for anyone involved.
0: Right. Well, I mean, if we take it back to the coaching analogy and the sports analogy, right, you wouldn't have coached, let's say, Peyton Manning, right? You wouldn't have been his coach and taken that exact coaching framework and those plays and those drills and whatever and move on to the 49ers and be like all right this is what we did it works right because you have different people involved you have different skill sets you have different everything and you can't just rinse and repeat
1: exactly especially coming right. into
0: new organization yeah
1: yeah now there may be things you can rinse and repeat however sure. like you're not going to be able to learn that until you really like dig into the data like you said stand in the trenches get shoulder to shoulder with some of those customer facing individuals and say okay like here's a pain point that you're experiencing it's a similar pain point that I enabled in the past let me get the internal buy-in this is the direction we're gonna go rinse and repeat and then it's like at the 30 60 get 60 90 day mark oh it is working or it's not oops my rinse and repeat didn't work let's go find the new solution
0: Right. Well, and I and I think part of our responsibility as enablement professionals is to just continue to build the tools we have in our toolbox and just like building anything. Can you tell that I love metaphors and analogies, (laughs) but you don't need every tool for every job and you may think this tool is going to help you and then it doesn't. Right. So I, I think being open to what works in that organization is is spot on. And you don't get there without all the things that we've been talking about, empathy, listening, heading uh-huh. in the trenches. You just can't get there without finding out what's going on in that organization.
1: Absolutely. And there's so many resources that are available to you to study sales and sales enablement. You know, there's books like uh, Sales Enablement, a Master Framework by I think it's Shank and Matthews. I recommend anything by Jeb Blunt, like any of his books are fantastic for sellers. Proactive Selling by Skip Miller, another great book that I used to have all new sellers read when I was onboarding them. There's blogs like Gong and HubSpot. There's certificates, I think through Dale Carnegie. And then of course, podcasts like the Enablement Amplified podcast, Sales Enablement Pro, and even like Sales Gravy, where you can just spend 30 to 60 minutes every day or every other day, however much time you have allotted or free time, which in enablement, any free time is, is rare. But if you do continuously to learn and improve on your skills, because if you're asking your team for continuous training and education, like you should be doing it as well
0: absolutely there's another i'll just throw another book out there that's fantastic that just came out lauren brownstone wrote enabling enablement executing strategic learning and readiness functions which is fantastic because it's all about the strategy behind what we do which everybody already knows i'm obsessed with <laughs> because enablement is strategic and that's a whole other podcast and you know what else is a whole nother podcast that i've been thinking about you just hit it on the head, right? We expect all this learning and development for our sellers and for our organizations to support that. And one day soon, I think that there will be so much more learning and development specifically for enablers. So yep. I'm very much looking forward to the day that that becomes a thing. Like if you go on LinkedIn Learning right now and look up sales enablement or revenue enablement, there's really not much in comparison to say, like re- just re- regular sales course. courses. But we'll get there. And I, and I think you're absolutely right. We have to arm ourselves with as much as much knowledge as possible for ourselves and from our sellers to be effective.
1: Absolutely. And then the last thing I would recommend someone who hasn't been customer facing jumping into enablement is network. You know, there's so many communities like the Enablement Squad, Sales Enablement Collective, Revenue Enablement Society, become an active member schedule time with seasoned professionals, find a mentor and take advantage of their experience because you're going to get so much information from them. And you're gonna get a head start because they're gonna tell you, hey, here's what did work. It might work for you, but here's what absolutely did not work and not what I I would recommend, right? Like I used to tell people, don't do this one thing. Do not do a sage on a stage lecture for 60 minutes where you're just talking at a group because that's not engaging, especially on an where those early mornings are followed by late, late nights, night. <laughs> that are followed by early mornings, that are followed by late nights. On that third day of an SKO, like those eyes are pretty glazed over. Get people up, keep people moving around, engage with them. But you wouldn't have known that unless you had learned it from someone else or just going through it yourself.
0: Okay, Timmy, you have... Hold me maybe not even kicking and screaming across the line to, I will say, agree with you that having customer facing experience as an enabler really, really helps be more effective and, and ramp you up and get you into the work faster. I will also completely double down on what you said about networking and being in the enablement community. It's who we are as people. We we are people, people. And this community is so giving and so generous and so thoughtful about making connections. Like it honestly, I'm a very woo woo kind of person. It makes me emotional to think about the community that we have because you try to get involved in a sales community and everyone's just a jerk, right? And they're all trying to, one-up each other and whatever, oh, I found out this guy in my networking group works for the competitor and I'm going to steal his, right? Like it just gets nasty and it's not who we are in enablement. And so this community is just chef's kiss. So fantastic. If anyone is looking to get into the industry, absolutely connect with people, connect with me, connect with Timmy, connect with all those Slack channels and just ask your questions. Like there's no it's a such a judgment free zone. It's amazing. Like, I've been tasked with creating a new onboarding program for our international reps, and I've never worked international help. And people are just like, "I got you."
1: Yep, they will send you their templates, best practices, and ideas. Totally. They'll jump on a, on a call with you. They are more than willing to help.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, speaking of our amazing community. It is so important to me personally and a big part of the show to amplify people in our community. So starting with you, Timmy, tell us what you're up to, what we can do to amplify your work, how we can help you with anything you've got going on.
1: Yeah, right now, just building the enablement function from zero to one at Hotskip Drive. Please, please, please add me on LinkedIn. If you did not agree with anything I said, shoot me a message more than happy to have a conversation about it to learn new perspectives because as much as I like to think you know it's a huge benefit maybe there's something I haven't thought of so go ahead add me on LinkedIn I should be one of the only Timmy Hendrickson's on there
0: I'll I mean, link you in the show notes too so people can just click through it
1: okay absolutely but yeah, add me on LinkedIn
0: yeah absolutely and let's start fights on the internet I'm just kidding don't do that don't start fights on the internet guys look how lovely this conversation turned out the <laughs> fuck <laughs> And then on, and then on the other side of that coin, who else out there is doing cool stuff that you want to amplify?
1: Yeah, two people I want to give a shout out to and amplify them are one, Chante Sheets, she's the senior enterprise sales trainer at Salesloft. She's also the VP of operations for the Enablement Squad, and then two, uh, Ebony Glenn, the senior sales enablement specialist at Articulate and my counterpart in the Enablement Squad as the Knowledge Co-Chair. I have the pleasure of working with those two individuals on doing some really cool things for that network, that professional networking community, and they are fantastic. I think they would be great additions to this podcast, and then hopefully I'll be able to listen to them
0: one day. Absolutely. I have had the pleasure of meeting both of them in person, and they are two of the most lovely, wonderful human beings ever. They are also doing amazingly cool stuff in Enablement, Follow those two on LinkedIn for sure. Connect with them, learn from them, hit them up on the Slack channels. I will absolutely link both of them in the show notes as well. To me, this has been a surprisingly fun conversation. I thought I was going to have to get out like my nunchucks or something as the person who doesn't have any selling experience. But I am pleasantly surprised that we really found that common ground about how much it does elevate your experience as an enabler to have that customer facing experience. So thank you so much for being on the show. It is right before the holidays. So I am going to wish you happy holidays and it's been a great time.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me and enjoy your holiday season. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and comment on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to our email list at www.enablementamplified.com to get every new episode delivered right to your inbox. As always, thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. Take care.